Please note, for maximum picture quality, it may be necessary to adjust the tracking control on your VCR. Lying in your bed on a Saturday night You're sweating buckets and it's not even hot But your brain has got the message and it's sending it out To every nerve and every muscle you've got You've got so many dreams you don't know where to put them So you better turn a few of them loose Your brain has got a feeling that it's starting to rust You better wear it up and put it to use And I don't know how I ever thought that I could make it all alone when you only make it better, and it better be tonight And we'll fly away in those angel wings of chrome in your daddy's car Waiting there for you tonight, I'll be there for you tonight You go down on the pedal and you're ready to roll And your speed is all you'll ever need, and you'll ever need to know <laughs> Darling, darling, you and me, we're going nowhere slowly and we gotta get away from the past There's nothing wrong with going nowhere baby But we should be going nowhere fast But where everybody is going is to adjust your tracking. A podcast on adventure to watch a century cinema decade by decade, year by year. I, firstly, apologise for the singing, but I'm one of your hosts, Liam Delaney. And with me is a man who is in his angel wings of chrome. <laughs> Hi, I'm Ollie. And how are you doing, Ollie? And... Oh, I'm great, thanks. Uh, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm fantastic. And Ollie nearly jumped to the occasion right now where we've got two guests with us today. Uh, it's Sean and Frank from the Film Junk Podcast. Hey, guys. Thanks for having us. I know. Thank you. How are you guys doing? I'm good. Hello, Liam. Hello, Oliver. Thanks for having me. Hey, guys. It's the absolute pleasure for you, for you guys to be here. Like, I'm really looking forward to it. So thanks for popping up. It's a bit late for us, so excuse any kind of dizziness. But um, <laughs> Yeah, sorry about that. Yeah, I guess it's like, what, 20 to 12 there? Yeah. Uh, yeah, 20 to 12. Yeah. I did have an hour-long power nap today, so I'd be ready for this. But, like, if I sound a bit flustered, it's only because I've been listening to these guys for about 12, 13 years now. So, you know, listening to <laughs> two people for, like, that many years, they've, like, been with me through a lot of my life, through, you know, through my ups and downs and that. And I, just, I, I don't know what I'm talking about. See, I told you I'm talking bullshit but yeah thank you very much for uh, being on our podcast uh, it means a lot to me and uh, yeah yeah i mean it's our pleasure we just finished our 800th episode so we have been doing this for a long time uh <laughs> so i mean it's amazing that we have people like you that have been listening that long uh and it's fun when we can actually kind of meet you guys and come on your podcast so <laughs> well i mean you were now in the what the guinness book of world records now apparently i don't know if we're in the book yet they, oh, they okay. said we may be in a book but we are on the website the guinness world record website for longest longest running movie podcast 
very specific That's category. <laughs> no, no, Sean suspects. Are we allowed to say this, Sean? What? I don't know. I don't know. That what it might be the the longest podcast, but because like some podcasts or radio shows or like are, uh, it gets a bit they muddy. exist in like multiple formats, we're not quite sure. Yeah, it's hard to tell. Does that count? It's just a pure podcast. We're up there. Does that count <laughs> Space Junk as well? Where? How far does it go back to? Yeah, our numbering, we included Space Junk. Maybe that's cheating a bit. I don't it's know. Juicy. But, <laughs> juicy. <laughs> but we don't count our premium podcasts or some of our special know, yeah. episodes. Sure. So it kind of balances out. And all your Patreon as well. Yeah. Like, I, was, I wanted to ask you about the Patreon. Like, Is it something that you guys ever wish you kind of started a bit earlier? Because I didn't know how it like affected the podcast. Like once you started i mean maybe i like it did kind of create this really tight community like you know where the the real hardcore fans are and so like when we put out stuff that we know the average person would have no interest in like you know jay just ranting about dvd packaging or blu-ray packaging (laughs) or something those people eat it up but the average person would be like why do i care <laughs> i did enjoy f- watching frank's 3do collection the other day that, nice. was, a, that was a highlight <laughs> i was just doing a stream yep. with some other people and i've got my f-zero games oh nice. look at that right here we were looking at them fun oh. stuff at least Good someone stuff. enjoys it they need to bring those back <laughs> it's I kind of so. billed as anti-entertainment like that's part of the joke but <laughs> it's, it's kind of fun so uh, what have you all been up to this week anything good well I was actually going to ask you guys, what's what's the COVID situation in the UK right now? Like here we, in Ontario and Canada, they just opened retail stores again for like limited capacity and mm. patios on restaurants just opened. So like we were in complete lockdown up until basically today. That's incredible. I know I've got a friend who lives in um, New Brunswick and he's just had to apply for some, some uh, government government license to be able to move house to i think halifax and um i think he's moving in like two days but they still haven't sent this kind of government license yet that he can move across province which i thought was a uh, pretty interesting yeah. <laughs> i don't think that's effect that's anything like like yeah it's it's still locked down pretty heavy I, I i think we're allowed to travel across provinces but that was a thing at some point for sure at least in ontario and then i mean today i I couldn't wait. I went to Costco today. I was <laughs> buying like uh, cornhole boards, uh, <laughs> gardening supplies, a vacuum. I was just, lo- it was in, it was crazy there. They had in the clothing section, they had to block off the aisles because apparently it was like a mad dash all morning. I got there oh after like around noonish or one. And they said we had to like, they were only letting so many people in at a time. And, I was snapping, waiting to get in. Like so, someone was in there, literally on their phone, just talking to someone. It was a half an hour wait just to get in to look at the clothes. And what? I, oh my god! People were just desperate to get out the house. Then, like, yeah, I oh yeah, and because you haven't been able to buy anything but essentials there for a while. So, uh, yeah, and I'm I'm driving by all the patios. Like, have they kind of build makeshift patios because they can't do indoor dining? And they uh, were all yeah, packed sure. on my way home. So people have just been, it's going to be crazy this weekend. Yeah, we've been open like, what, a couple of weeks now, I think? Yeah, I think uh, we're It's not fully open month. for another, like, two weeks or so. Like, cinemas haven't opened, have they? 
And I think fairly large capacity gigs haven't opened. But there are some smaller scale gigs, aren't there? And uh, I think, you, can you dine inside now? Yeah, you can dine inside. Cinemas are open, by the way. Cinemas reopened. Um, are they? Yeah, May the 24th, oh, shit. <laughs> I think, or something like that. I ain't going in one yet. Oh, no, ma- no, <laughs> that wasn't. No, it's the 17th. Yeah, it's next week, sorry. Yeah, the drive-in, yeah. our drive-in opens this weekend, so that's kind of cool. We don't really have those here. Yeah. That's because it's cold. This is a shame. And wet. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> it's actually been pretty nice the last few days, though. Anytime I've been to the UK, I've been twice for about a week or a week plus. Every time I've been there, never. I think it rained one day each time. It was like sunny the whole week. I'm like, all these lies about the weather are complete bullshit. It's amazing here. <laughs> no, we get like one good week a year. You need to come back more and give us more sun then. It's incredible. <laughs> like it was raining for about a month there continuously. And then mm. the past week the sun's just absolutely come out and now it's absolutely roasting hot. And it's just coincided with the lockdown ending. So people are absolutely flooding the yeah. streets. Like the pubs are rammed, the bars are rammed, like the the shops are rammed. Just watch and, those um, numbers start rising. Well, yeah, they've just announced today, actually, just about half an hour ago, an hour ago, they just announced that they're not going to stop the lockdown. There was meant to be like, the end of June was meant to be total end to every kind of restriction. It's meant to be just completely fully open again. And they've just announced that that's not going to happen at the end of June. And we're keeping like social distancing and face masks and stuff like that, because our numbers are starting to rise again, despite all the vaccinations. But I, I don't know, I can't wait to get to the cinema. I'm so desperate to get back into the cinema. Yeah, right? same. So yeah, I was going to say to you guys, I had my first Tim Hortons today in honour of you guys uh, coming on the show. Yes. Like, like nice. one actually opened in uh, Birmingham where I live and um, just before lockdown. So this is the first time I ever got to go to it. And I was really surprised. It feels more like McDonald's in there than it does an actual like coffee <laughs> yeah. shop. I was really bemused. Like it was like like touchscreen panels to order my, my beverage and my donut. I was like, what the fuck's going on? But yeah, I just went for the normal maple leaf. Is it maple? Maple one with kind of like the maple kind of dip, clear. probably. It's got a kind of clear glaze on top, and then but it was delicious though. So yeah, mm. I don't know how you caned three of those in one go. That's insane. <laughs> Donuts? Yeah. Oh, I mean, I I'm stopping myself. I could eat a lot of donuts. I uh, I'm a big fan. <laughs> in terms of what I've been, I mean, this week I just been working a bit, and then uh, I mean. Video games are a pretty big passion of mine as well. So Ratchet and Clank came out at uh, midnight. I was playing that till about oh, three fantastic. in the morning. I was uh, hoping that was coming out on the PS4, but sadly not. Because yeah, like trying be. to get a PS5 here is impossible. I've tried it, so everywhere. Many times. It's impossible to find everywhere. So I was I can't I didn't think they'd be this hard to find. If I didn't get one, I don't know where I'd be right now. It would not be <laughs> a, a time. You'd be snapping. I How are you would. finding the controller? You haven't had any like uh, a drift or anything. No, no. Oh, but yeah. I mean, I I prefer the PS4 controller, but I still like the Dual Sense. But the new Series X controller is probably my favorite one. Oh really? Okay. Mm-hmm. I just finished uh, Resident Evil Eight this week. Oh, so good. I really enjoyed it. Like, I think I preferred Seven personally. I think there was more like varied environments and stuff. But um, but I did enjoy it. I mean, it's like completely dumb. Like ridiculous, but but a lot of yeah, fun. I thought it was great. <laughs> I was quite annoyed though that I thought I'd be able. I thought it might save me at a certain point at the end, so I could go back into all the areas and kind of get all the 
like unlockables and stuff. But no, I think I've got to play the game from the beginning if I want to. Yeah. Achieve. Unless you had saves, yeah, it's it's kind of clumsy with re- revisiting sections. Yeah, but Liam, you uh, had surgery this week. How did that go? <laughs> I did have a minor surgery. I'm fine. Yeah, Very minor surgery fine. on Monday. I was out in a day, but uh, I have to say, I um, they gave me the painkiller. I can't remember whatever fentanyl or whatever it was, and I felt like it didn't affect me at all. Like they gave me it, and I was just lying on the bed going, "This hasn't done anything." Like, <laughs> and I didn't feel sleepy or anything. It just felt completely normal. And then, like, about, I don't know, 12 hours later, and it was, like, middle of the night, I woke up in so much pain. And I was like, oh, that, okay, <laughs> it was doing something the whole Did time then. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, like, and um, kind of took a couple of paracetamol, which I don't think did anything at all. And uh, just uh, dropped me off into uh, and trying to go to sleep again. But it was, yeah, it was, I haven't been to hospital in, in my whole life, really, having anything like that. So that was quite a weird experience to kind of go through the whole kind of thing. But um, <laughs> what have you loaded up, Ollie? <laughs> right, I've loaded... It. Okay, so basically, uh, Film Junk celebrated their 800th episode the other day, and they did like a little game called Film Junk Bits. And I forgot... I created one, but didn't. I didn't upload it to the website, so I thought I'd just play it for you guys now and see if you can guess what film oh, review this is from. Okay. It's only one. It's only a quick one. So if you can't hear it, let me know. There's like so a- we should just say the premise is... Yeah. It's a clip from a movie we reviewed, and we have to guess... Clip, clip from our review of that yes. movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and we have to try and guess what movie we were talking about. Because you've done it previously with music and... Yeah, we've done primarily movie scores, like excerpts from scores, but... All right. You guys ready? Yeah. Yep. It's just a quick one. Okay. When was that? 97? Oh, yeah, it was a while ago. Really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, okay. I think this was Avatar. I think this was the Avatar episode. <laughs> Correct. Oh, my favorite bit, though, is at the end when Jay just starts singing. Yes, it was the, one of the few times we used a wireless mic. <laughs> People wondering what they're hearing right now. Jay was wearing a wireless mic. On this like, episode. <laughs> one of my favorite things about this episode is that... Um, is it Singe, who's a police officer, because he was a guest on this episode? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he tells a story about where a guy shits in front of him. But one of my best friends <laughs> yeah. is a police officer, and he, like, I was, I was telling him about this story, and he goes, I can't count on, you know, my hands the amount of times people have shat in front of me. It's apparently quite a <laughs> oh common occurrence. <laughs> wow. So was Sean right? Was it Avatar? It was Avatar, yeah. Okay. He was very confident, so I assumed he was. Uh... <laughs> oh, yeah, that's the classic. <laughs> <laughs> logged into your brain yeah so um Liam have you been watching anything this week uh, I have not been watching as much as I normally watch I have to be honest um yeah. but I watched a couple of things um I, you know uh, I don't know why I did this but I watched Green Lantern which I've oh, never no. seen before <laughs> um and you're a big yeah. Green Lantern fan though aren't you though yeah, I was a really big Green Lantern card in for comics, totally. But like, I was a fan of Green Lantern before they kind of rebooted it all with Hal Jordan. So I was a fan of like Carl Rainier and all that kind of that era of the comic book. And I remember when the film came out and it just got panned and I was not interested in seeing it at all because I didn't want to see something I liked so bad. And I don't know why I did it to myself. I watched it again and I can't believe how bad it is. Um, I just can't believe how miscast Ryan Reynolds is in that film and how much they're completely obsessed with him as like a, 
it being a funny kind of leading man for that film when it is completely awkward on screen. He has like no chemistry with it. I was baffled. It, it stands as a weird kind of like, you know, mo- like a weird isolated monolith to these early like superhero films now when like people did not know what they were doing and tried to fit everything into the same mold. So I don't recommend that. Wasn't this their attempt to like start in the universe with Green Lantern though? I can't remember. I have absolutely. Like, was this meant I, to I be like that so. Iron Man? Yeah, I think that was before the DC universe yeah. happened. Apparently, though, Zack Snyder wanted him for the, um, the Justice League new version. That's what I heard, anyway. There's so many clickbaity things, though, for that fucking film. <laughs> yeah, you never know. <laughs> you never know. You never know. Yeah, all I remember liking from Green Lantern was, uh, like, I remember weird stuff with uh, Peter Sarsgaard's character. Oh, he had like, the big, like, potato head. Yeah, I remember liking the weird stuff in that movie, but yeah, it was. Yeah, nice. you're right. And I didn't even realize that um, Ty- uh, Taiko Wikiti is in it. As, like, he's um, his best friend, isn't he? He's his best friend as yeah. Tom. Like, I did not even realize he was casting it. I couldn't believe when he popped up. And he barely does anything, he's barely in it at all, really. But um, what a weird little film. It's so, like, as you say, it's before they started thinking about extended universe and any franchising of that properties. They they talk about it really isolated. It's kind of weird to watch a film that like a superhero film that's so not obsessed with the wider world. It doesn't care about that, you know, doesn't talk about other heroes, doesn't even suggest that other heroes exist. It's all very just isolated in this little world. It's kind of weird. It's it's not how they make superhero films anymore, even though it's not that old. Um so as that thing it stands those were the days those were the days yeah like different like weird um (laughs) that was more like the got thing i got interestingly got out of it and i don't know the only other film i've watched a couple of um cronenberg films this week so i watch um existence existence is that what it's called how you pronounce it Mm -hmm. nice is that the one where he makes a gun out of chicken bones Basically, like yeah. <laughs> a flesh gun or something, the, right? A flesh gun. <laughs> yeah, flesh gun. It's uh, it, I, it's not often with Cronenberg Bag I watch it and have kind of no idea what was going on, and this was absolutely it. Like, it's normally I get some sort of grasp of what's going on, and I have to say with this, I was completely baffled by it. Um, it's you know, it's about video games, it's about video games on the run, and it's all about virtual worlds and and everything like that. It's good fun though i really had a good time with it and actually i don't think it's as bad as its reputation kind of was it's i remember it being completely panned at the time but it's kind of fun and i think it's worth checking out i remember liking it i just don't remember much about it to be honest but i didn't you go you guys reviewed it didn't you like didn't you do a a special on uh, cronenberg yeah we did a bunch of cronenberg movies and this was one of the ones we covered and I mean, Frank and I both worked in video games, so like we have a kind of different perspective on it. Like I, I rewatching it, I was like, "Oh, there's some cool ideas here that almost bleed into like what Westworld was doing, yeah, where right. it's like the idea of like a simulated world but in real life kind of thing." Yeah, I I liked Existence. I I don't remember that much about it, but it's I dig it. It's a it's a Cronenberg vibe. Anything else, Liam? Or is that it? The other Cronenberg I watched was Cosmopolis. Um, which wanted to watch some RPATs, I guess. It's it's definitely it's definitely before RPATs kind of got into his kind of mode that he's in now. He's a little lost in it. He's um I think he's not totally knowing what he's doing. But um I, I enjoyed it. I got something out of it and when it was finished I, I was in yeah, I liked it. I did. It was um a good another good film. Like 
trying to catch up with Cronenberg. I hadn't watched before, I guess. Yeah, I remember I didn't like Cosmopolis at the time, but I do remember it being very effectively suspenseful. I don't know yeah. if that's accurate or not, but there's, you know, I know they introduce a gun at some point and there's like an extended mm. scene and I, I thought it was pretty suspenseful. Yeah, the end of the film with Paul Giamatti and, and him with, with the gun specifically is actually really, really well done. So it's it's a bit, at the start, it's a bit kind of, you know, it's a bit lost, it's a bit floating, it's a bit hard to kind of grasp exactly what they're trying to do with this. But I think it starts growing and building and there's enough kind of suspense, enough kind of weirdness, enough suggestion of of what it's kind of talking about um, that, yeah, I got into it actually. And uh, the, by the end of it with, the, you know, talking about the gun and everything, that was uh, it's really good. Well, not really good, but I enjoyed it. Like, <laughs> I definitely was okay with it. Like, it's not up there with the best yeah, Cronenberg. And look, I, I can't believe that movie is ten years old. It's like, ten it's, years old. Yeah, Jesus, nuts. I know it's ridiculous. We're almost dead. <laughs> <laughs> we get in there. It's terrifying. And yeah, that's really all I watched this week, to be honest. Apart from what the other films we're going to talk about, yourself or? Uh, well. So you know I've got my I've got a list of like all my unwatched Blu-rays because it's kind of got a bit out of hand. So what I do now every episode is I've got as I said they're on a list. I tell Liam or a guest to give me a number, whatever number they choose. I watch that film. So last week our guest Paul Nadian he picked number thirty no sixty nine, obviously, which was um, Godfather Part Three. And so, like, I've seen Godfather Part 1 and 2, but uh, I was never compelled to watch 3. And um, But it's been that long since I've seen Godfather Part 2. So I, today I've done back-to-back Godfather Part 2 and 3. Well, now you got to do Part 3 Coda. Oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, Final Coda or something? No, it's something like Mario Puzo's The Godfather Coda, The Death of Michael Colleone or something stupid. <laughs> Have you guys seen that? No, we haven't. Uh, we haven't watched it yet. We're waiting for the 4K release, right, okay. the inevitable big 4K box set. It's got to happen soon, sure. right? It's going to happen. So, as I said, I haven't seen Godfather Part Two in I can't even remember like nearly 20 years. Um, hot take: It's a great film. I'm not going to deny that, but I just think it's a little bit long Thank still. Like I love how like all the films start off with like a big family event that kind of introduces all the characters that you're going to see throughout the film and stuff and you know i love the inclusion of lee strasberg in the film and you know i forgot about the whole senate hearing section of the film and you know you've got harry dean stanton popping up as well like i don't remember like robert de niro having so few lines like like he won the oscar that year didn't he for best supporting a- uh, actor mm-hmm. and um I'm probably not a massive fan of the fact that he kind of tries to mimic Marlon Brando's voice in it a little bit, but um, I still think he's got a great presence in the film, and I think you know he's a welcome addition to the to the series, and it kind of like sets it apart from the other films as well. But yeah, um, Godfather Part Three, um, I guess it follows Michael Colleone as he's trying to like buy his way into the, the Catholic Church, and it's got a bit more of an emphasis on the younger generation, so it follows like. Uh, his daughter and his nephew. Um, but, it, I mean, as a film, it's okay, I guess. I mean, there's some moments in 3, like the 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 murdering, like, montage of, like, the, is it Vatican? I just watched it recently. I don't, I don't know. There's, like, some excellent montages, I think, in that movie, like, where a bunch of things are happening at once. And uh, I think the end of the movie's okay, but overall, it's kind of messy. Well, yeah, you've you've got the helicopter that just guns them all down, doesn't it? Like they're all meeting up at like a, a top of a 
a casino, I think. Like he's like paying them all off or whatever, and then there's like a whole big shoot out there. And um, and then at the end, they're watching uh, Al Pacino's son like do a perform an opera, aren't they? And then there's like a right, whole that's big... okay, it's the opera thing. And um... and like a lot of people rag on Sofia Coppola in that film. I mean, she's not great, but I don't think she's the worst. But like at the end when she dies, because obviously she accidentally takes a bullet for her dad. You kind of really don't feel much for her, to be honest, because she doesn't really. I don't, I don't know. It's a, it's just a weird subplot as well. The whole kissing cousins yep. thing with Andy Garcia and stuff. It's it's a bit it's a bit bizarre. Um, but yeah, like I said, it's okay. It's it's not great. I'm sad that um, Bobby Duvall wasn't in it because you know I quite enjoyed him as. Uh, is he Tom in the first? Yeah, he's Tom, isn't he? Like yep. they're kind of uh, not step. Not stepbrother, but like, I don't know, adopted brother. Conciliary. Yeah, that's it. And they replace him with, um, I've forgotten his name now, George. I forgot the actor, but yeah, he wasn't as, he wasn't as good as Robert DeVal. But apparently he, uh, wanted as much money as Al Pacino and they said no. Um, there was one moment that made me laugh though. He looked like Mr. <laughs> Al Pacino looked like Mr. Rogers when he was having his like diabetes attack. And I don't know, I just did have some. <laughs> Um, is that the one in the kitchen? Yeah, he's got like a red like cardigan on, and he just looked like I don't know, yeah, Mister Rogers. <laughs> Even at the end, he looks like fucking Wurzel Gummidge, or like I don't know, Steptoe and Son with his bad old age makeup and grey hair, as he's like sitting on a chair surrounded by a load of little dogs, and he just like keels over and dies. Here, when you talk about this, I don't remember this film at all. I thought I did, and I didn't, it's it's barely registering in my memory, I have to say. I mean, like, yeah, it was nominated for Best Film that year. I think it lost out to um, Dances with Wolves, though, but we all know it should have been Goodfellas that won that year. So, yeah, now it's your guys' turn to help me pick what film I should watch next week. So you've got to pick a, a number between 1 and 186, and then whatever you pick, I will watch and review for next week. Hmm. Okay. I see you knocking two off the packet now. Yeah, I may as well. We're doing that right now? Yeah, go for it. 137. 137. 122. So, um, Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> Which one? Oh, the Joel Schumacher one? <laughs> no, 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 no. The original. <laughs> <laughs> and then what was the other one? 137. Yeah. That is short term 12. So that's, nice. that's a fun little uh, little lineup. I'll knock those out next week. <laughs> we'll hear about your review next week. <laughs> I've been meaning to watch Sword Turn Twelve actually. Yeah, uh, that's been on my watch list for a while. I haven't got that. She's to. become quite a a heated figure now, hasn't she? A lot of people have turned on her. Uh, what Brie Larson? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I guess so. Is it the Lon Chaney Phantom of the Opera? Like yeah, it's the one that's in... I've got this Universal Monsters yeah, Blu-ray okay, box set, okay. so yeah, I assume yeah. it's that one. I saw that a long, long time ago. Did you see Brie Larson's gaming channel, though, on YouTube? No. Oof. <laughs> don't, don't check it out. Okay. It's pretty brutal. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, uh, other than Godfather Part 3, I haven't watched anything else besides uh, Purple Rain, which I mentioned to all you guys, so I don't know if you've all watched it. I watched it. it. Yeah? I yep. watched it, yeah. So, um, I mean... Before we get into that, is there anything else you guys have watched this past week that you might want to... Uh, do we mention TV? You can if you want to, yeah, sure. Yeah, actually. I, I guess I'll say I did watch the first episode of Loki. I don't know if Sean did. 
No, I didn't get to it yet. Yeah, I watched okay. it too, actually. I I wasn't that big on WandaVision. I know a lot of people loved it. I liked Falcon and Winter Soldier a bit more. Didn't love it. I guess I liked Loki a bit more, but mostly I liked the production design stuff. Like I thought the like yeah. all the sets and uh the like credits and I don't know, all the all the production elements I thought were awesome and it looked really good. So I don't really get the the plot in terms of the multi-dimensional stuff in MCU. I, I'm like, I've only seen each, like the end game and infinity war, like once each. So I'm probably not the target audience, but I thought it like it, it looked really good. Uh, and I'm kind of intrigued by it. So I'll probably keep watching it. Um, what was I going to say about that? Um, how's Owen Wilson in that? How's his like, I like, I, I mean, I like Owen Wilson in general. Yeah. So he's kind of Owen Wilson and, I mean, he's not hilarious or anything, but I think he's cast well. I think he, he works. Yeah, I found him kind of captivating, actually, Owen Wilson. I thought he was good. Um, it was kind of nice seeing him, frankly. Yeah, because he's been away for a while, hasn't he, kind of? Yeah. I agree with that. Like, the first episode was incredibly kind of just a lot of exposition, really, trying to set up all the different stuff, because they're, they're setting up a lot in that first episode about the nature of time and mm-hmm. and all the rest of it. But, um, I yeah, I'm intrigued. I'm definitely definitely looking forward to the next one. It didn't blow me away or anything like that, but I'm definitely looking forward to seeing what they do with it. I mean, that's most MCU stuff for me these days. Like, it, no, you know, they're right. not they're not taking huge <laughs> yeah. risks. It's uh, pretty safe but watchable for the most part. Yeah, just kind of moving forward. I haven't watched any of those. I need to catch up with them, but but nothing's grabbing me to. I just can't be. I just can't be bothered. Like, I just can't be bothered with TV to be honest. Like, I find it a bit of a chore. Like, I prefer a film because, you know, two hours is done. I just mm-hmm. can't be bothered. And, like, but on the other hand, I don't know what it is. When you do get hooked to a TV show, you can sit there and watch it for quite, you know, like, you can watch, like, four, binge four episodes. Whereas, like I said, I watched The Godfather today, and it did feel like a bit like a chore, though, because of how long it is. It's like a weird kind of dynamic between TV and film that I'm still, I'm still uh, grappling with at the moment. But yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I guess that's how you can tell if it's good or not. Yeah, true, true. <laughs> sometimes yeah. I, I respect the art I'm watching, but it does feel like a chore sometimes. And yeah. I mean, I talk about this on Film Junk all the time. I, I miss, sorry if uh, Oliver's heard this a million times, but like the E word, entertaining. I just don't think there's much focus <laughs> on things being entertaining no, anymore. I agree with you. And uh, that's why, you know, I still find the best great movies I go to over and over again are ultimately extremely entertaining for various reasons nothing but trouble yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> how about you sean you've watched anything uh well i, I was going to mention something that i watched a couple of weeks ago that i didn't mention on film junk but oh, it just occurred to me it's uh yeah it's totally exclusive <laughs> I, I watched the documentary hands on hard body which i don't know if you guys have ever seen this oh. or no 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 heard of it like it's it's from the 90s so it's kind of like an like i don't know i guess it would be like the same year that michael moore's the big one came out so you know 97 yeah so it's um i I don't know there's just there's a certain sort of era of documentary where things get a little more um i don't know what's the word a little more refined this one feels pretty raw like it's you know it's all shot on on video and but but the concept is really interesting so it's there's a, a 
contest in Texas that I guess, I don't know if they do this in a lot of places in Texas or in the States in general, but they have a contest where there's a truck, a brand new truck, and they choose 24 people. And the idea is they all come and they put their hand on the truck. Uh, And basically whoever takes their hand off the truck uh, last or whoever can leave it on the longest wins that truck. And you get, there's kind of like these weird rules. Like you get a five minute break every hour and a 15 minute break every six hours. But other than that, like no sleep, you're, you know, some, some of them have people that are like bringing them food here and there, uh, which helps. Um, but it's just like this endurance competition, but in a weird way. And it's, I mean, this, the cast of characters is very interesting. One of the guys there won it like a couple years ago. So he's like the favorite to win it again. But, (laughs) but yeah, but it's like kind of this question of like, what makes somebody good at this contest? You know, like, do they have to be physically fit? Like a little bit, but it's also like about focus because some people just accidentally take their hand off because they're not thinking and that's it. They're done. And then at some point, there's like even like a bit of a scandal where they like somebody leaves the competition because somebody took their hand off, but none of the judges saw it. And so it's like this question (laughs) of like, are the judges like even paying attention to this, like this length of time? And uh, it's pretty fascinating. I really enjoyed it. Um, And it's actually previously it was kind of hard to find. Like, I think it is on iTunes, but strangely, uh, MailChimp, believe it or not, they had a web page. They had a web page where they put a bunch of documentaries up that are have the entrepreneurial spirit or something like that. And this was one of them. So I was like, oh, I've been wanting to see that. And I watched it. So check it out. That's really cool because it's one of those weird documentaries that kind of speaks to like why does someone do this or like what is compelling someone and what makes what makes that work. It's almost like the same documentaries that we're seeing lately about like you know the free solo and stuff like that or King of Kong that kind of look into that like weird little world of something or or why like and just see who the cast of characters are and find out like what drove them to this. I like the sound of that. I'd watch it. Well, I mean, for me, those are what make the best documentaries about just, like, really interesting, unique people. So, like, you know, movies like American Movie or like even uh, Beauty Day, stuff like that. They're the, they're the kind of documentaries that really, like, speak to me. Yeah, for sure. But, yeah, so um, so I suggested to all of us that we could watch uh, Purple Rain because I thought it might complement this movie in a roundabout way. You know, they're both uh, rock and roll uh semi-musical type films you know they came out within a couple of weeks of each other i mean one was very successful where the other one wasn't and well, when um, you said fan when you said phantom i thought you were going to say phantom of the paradise which would also pair up nicely with the stuff true i have so seen phantom yeah. of the paradise i do love that film is it's a wicked film that is. but um so i've seen purple rain quite a few times i'm quite a big fan of prince anyway and like especially in this time period when he was with the revolution. Um, and he's one of those artists that I wish I could have seen before he passed away. But yeah, the movie itself is just like a a weird little anomaly. Um, you've got Prince walking around in his little ruffle shirts, driving around in his uh, purple Prince-mobile. And uh, 
but yeah, I think the soundtrack is incredible. It's one of the best. Um, but yeah, what did you guys think of Purple Rain? It was the first time I've seen it. So I, I think one of the first cassettes I ever bought in my life was the Batman soundtrack by Prince. Yeah. And I mean, I love Go it. Batons. I absolutely love it. And, uh, but I'm not a huge Prince fan in general, I would say, uh, even though Same. I do love that album. And I don't know, like the soundtrack for me is kind of hit and miss. Like, I really like the start, like, let's go crazy. Yeah, it's I a think great it's awesome. opening track. Yeah. yeah. And like all, I mean, this is getting to the movie, but I love like, it's kind of an extended or um, beefed up or juiced, if you want to say music video, the whole movie. Oh, yeah. But uh, I, I mean, I like the musical segments and I like watching them perform. I like uh, the time yeah. songs as well with Morris Day. And, uh, but I mean, I, I don't like the song purple rain. I, I, I don't <laughs> like, I know that's regarded as his best song by most people. I just don't get it. I don't like slow songs. It's, it's like, not, it's not a banger, is it? It's doesn't, it doesn't, <laughs> no, it's not a banger <laughs> for me. Exactly right. <laughs> I can't, uh, I can't, uh, get up and headbang to that it's one. It's just too slow. I, I gotta hear you on that one. Like my favorite song on that. Is, it's called the beautiful ones, and that that is quite a slow one. But it's when he starts like doing like crazy screams at the end, like that's the one where I think um, he storms off the stage. He does a lot of storming off stage and then pacing around back and forth. <laughs> he does, he yeah. does. But yeah, he comes off as a pretty unlikable guy through most of the movie. You know? <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I think it's definitely within a context, right? Like he's like obviously grown up in a, a house with violence and stuff like that, and he's definitely. Yeah. I'm sure there's his own kind of ego stuff in reality coming into that character too. But uh, I kind of like it as just, it's, it's a watchable weird movie, mostly for the musical stuff. Um, it's, it's kind of got a reimagined battle of the bands idea where it's not an official contest, but some bands getting eliminated. If yeah, that's true. Yeah. The yeah. Best. Um, yeah. But I don't know. It's, I'm, I don't know if it's regarded as a classic. In some ways it is, but I think the soundtrack is more well-regarded than the movie. Yeah. But I, I was glad to finally check it out. I did I did like it overall on Letterboxd. I think I gave it uh, three and a half. But you should. Well, I, I mean, it is regarded as a classic, Frank, because it was added to the Library of Congress National <laughs> Film Registry because it's culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant. <laughs> so there you go. But I, this is a first time watch for me too, actually. And I, you know, it's weird. I would say I'm not really a big Prince fan, but I've always kind of like, there's bands that I like that are kind of influenced by Prince. And I'm like, I don't know why I'm not. And watching this movie, I actually did really like the music. So I like even the slow stuff. Like I, I agree that I don't know that that's stuff I'm going to throw on at you know on my own just to listen to but in the movie i think it really works like that like purple rain is obviously kind of the emotional core of the film i think it's it's, great i guess it's interesting that it's the other band members like it's kind of his like uh, coming of age moment that he's finally like getting other people in the band write songs and stuff like that uh (laughs) it's his growth yeah yeah. totally yeah like i imagine prince was a pretty difficult person in real life i mean i think there's definite reports that he was quite controlling and stuff like that yeah so but i agree like especially to compare it to streets of fire which we're going to talk about but there's like it's very heavy on the music yeah not like the plot's pretty pretty loose and uh it's wafer thin yeah but 
you know, I just I had a good time just watching the performances. And I, I actually thought um, Morris Day as like kind of a personality kind of added something to the movie. Like he was kind of fun and I think he's the most charismatic. entertained. Like he he gives the yes. best performance I think in the film. Like he's constantly he's constantly bug eyed. But apparently, I read that apparently he was completely fucked through the whole making of the film. He was constantly on some sort of substance. <laughs> I believe that. Yeah. And like he's just constantly wired the whole time. I just remember him like I. I know he's. This is not what he's known for, but I remember him in Moving with Richard Pryor. He's in that very briefly, and that's what I. That's how I. All, whenever I see him, I just think of, uh, of. I I love Moving. I gotta watch it. It's got a nice meta score of thirties of thirty six. What are these people talking about? <laughs> I just thought I thought it was so weird with Purple Rain when it just came up, and I I'd never seen it before. I'm. I think I like Prince. I don't listen to Prince music or anything like that, but you know, I think I like Prince fine, whatever when I hear it on the radio. This is his best period with the the revolution. Yeah, fine, yeah. But um when it became a film about domestic violence, I was yeah. like, Is oh, is this what I'm watching? I didn't I had no idea this is what's gonna be what this film was about and a lot it's about a lot of trauma and a lot of kind of um like like how that trauma persists through him and he, he doles it out to other people. I was, I couldn't quite believe that's what the film was. And I re, I was having quite a tough time with it that that was like just that heavy plotting thing throughout, throughout most of it. And then, and then it ends with the Prince concert and I was really happy. And I think that's, <laughs> that's kind of what I like lifted it all up. And I was thinking, yeah, you can maybe just end films with Prince concerts. It doesn't just end on a Prince concert. It ends with Prince ejaculating on the audience with his guitar. <laughs> I forgot about that. That is true. I, I mean, I have to say, relating it to Streets of Fire, the first 10 minutes are my favorite part of the movie. Like, it's not even close. Yeah, sure. Yeah, totally. What did you think of the female actress? I can't remember her name, actually. Uh, Apollonia? Apollonia, that's Apollonia. it, yeah. And it was meant to be played by another performer called Vanity, who was in a band called Vanity Six, who I think Prince helped put together, much like a lot of the artists in the film. And I think he was in a relationship with her that ended prior to the film starting production, and so they had to recast her at the last minute. But um, she was like the only actress in the film, and I think it probably shows a little bit. But um, I'd say that the performances are the worst part of the movie by far. And like Prince is actually not not bad compared to some other performances. I don't know. Like I think he's pretty brutal sometimes. <laughs> like it. sometimes, sometimes. But I mean, some of the performances. I, actually, Clarence Williams isn't bad. But who's that? The the dad. Yeah. I mean, he's Prince. He's still quite captivating on screen. He knows how to kind of just be on screen and be a presence. It's still there. Well, like, you think though, for the guy that's that amazingly gifted at performing on stage, he he might give a better, a bit more nuanced performance, but. I don't know if there's any nuance going in on this. But then again, he's hardly given any lines in the entire film. Like, I don't think he says one word to Morris Day. He's like actual arch nemesis in the film. Um, but then again, I guess he talks through his songs, I guess. Yeah. The sex scene kind of surprised me, though. Like, he gets pretty handsy in there. <laughs> yeah. I was trying to work in a fingerprints joke in, but I can't, I can't quite uh, get in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's a sexy movie. Let's it face is. it, <laughs> <laughs> it's a sexy guy. Also, it has uh, like like in the film we're going to talk about later on. Like he full on wax his uh, his uh, girlfriend in the film, much like at the end of uh, 
Streets of Fire, like just full on Dexa. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's ridiculous. Well, I, it's I mean, absolutely ridiculous. What about the the baptizing sequence? Like that is, like that was very uncomfortable. Oh yeah, yeah. Like apparently she got she got like hypothermia. <laughs> I'm not surprised. <laughs> surprised. It's like Minnesota, isn't it? As well. It's gonna be cold. Gonna be cold. Yeah. I guess one last thing, it's probably worth noting that there's kind of like a semi-sequel to this, like his character in this, the kid, appears in Graffiti Bridge as well. But um, should we uh, should we get into Streets of Fire? Yeah, let's get into yeah. it. So yeah, sure. um, so yeah, this week we're, um, we're talking about Walter Hill's 1984 film, uh, Streets of Fire. I'll be coming for her, and I'll be coming for you too. Sure you will, and I'll be waiting... You are about to enter a world unlike any you've ever seen before, where rock and roll is king. The only law is a loaded gun. Where the beautiful stand see the show. It's really good. The brutal. I want Tom Cody and the brave all meet. From now on, it's for real. In streets of fire. Universal Pictures presents Michael Paré, Diane Lane, Rick Moranis, and Amy Madigan in a Walter Hill film, Streets of Fire. So, I don't know, the plot of this film is interesting. <laughs> Getting back to our uh, wafer thin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. You're in, so you're in this dangerous neo-noir future and you got Michael Paré and he's He's got a little band of um, friends, I guess. And they're hired by Rick Morales to go rescue the singer Diane Lane from William Defoe's biker gang. I know I haven't used character names there because I've forgotten them. <laughs> but uh, it's, uh, it's pretty much that's the film. Um, and uh, it's, I mean, it's, it builds itself as this like rock and roll fable. Like they talk about it as like this different world and, and, neo future kind of thing i think what was this there's a statement right at the beginning of the film mm. that sells it as like in a in a different world a different place yeah. well it's kind of got that future nostalgia thing going on hasn't it like you know 
I guess like Batman it's, and you know all those films that kind of followed it. Yeah, it feels kind of comic book influenced, like the Warriors as well. I think like, definitely. definitely. Well, I mean, you know, he directs it as well. Yeah, didn't of course. He? That's like it's, it seems like it's in the same uh, idea or aesthetic, basically. And I mean, I think I started this movie a few years ago. I, I think I came home drunk one night and watched <laughs> it, <laughs> and then I fell asleep. But same thing, like the first fifteen minutes. Like that initial concert, I just love. Yeah. I'm like, I'm going to yeah. love this movie. Why don't I already love this movie? And I just, I yeah. love that song. It's like, it's like electric. The energy is amazing. And I'm like, this is going to be a, a classic for me automatically. And then after that first segment is done, it just kind of falls off a cliff. Like not, <laughs> in a, not a huge Great. cliff, but a very small cliff. <laughs> and the rest of the movie is watchable. I mean, I like it. it Again, the best when it gets back to the music at the end with uh, I Can Dream About You, and uh, which I didn't know was from this movie, which Jay used to sing all <laughs> no, the time. No, absolutely. Film junk. And then uh, I like the last song too. Both of the, I think it's Fire Inc. is the, the band credited on Fire the soundtrack Inc., yeah. for both of those songs, which I love both of those songs. That's right up my alley. So, um, But the stuff in the middle, it's not bad, but it's not that much fun either. And uh I actually really like Michael Paré. I've never seen him in anything else to my recollection. There's something about him. Like he's, he's not a great actor, but there, there's a charisma to him. I cannot explain. <laughs> there's something there. There's something they saw as well. It's um. Well, it's I mean, like the, the, the writer, the writer of the film has pretty much said that he was shit and really yeah, disliked his I can see, He is kind of shit, but I still like him. For, like I like him in the movie for some reason. He looks stoned throughout the whole of this film. Like His eyes are just constantly a half kind of... just. He just looks very tired the whole way through. Yeah, and, that's why I mean it's inexplicable, but I... <laughs> I, 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 I and he wears. A, he wears for some reason. He's always wearing um, like these trousers that are up to his armpits. Yeah. With, um, what do you call them? Like... Uh, Suspenders? Suspenders, like, the whole time. <laughs> like, what what era is this? It's so, it's so odd. The kind of weird adoption of that kind of rockabilly look, that kind of 1950s look, is a proper thing that was kind of going on in this time period as yeah. well. Like, they're looking back to the 50s and pushing it in in this in a kind of weird weird future world. Well, I guess because all the people who, made fi- who were making films that time grew up in that period, so, you know, it's just... Yeah, it makes sense. Yes. I, guess it rem- I mean, I was reminded not just because of Rick Moranis, but I love Little Shop of Horrors. And to yeah. me, yeah. the film adaptation of Little Shop of Horrors like takes some similar ideas of like a, a 50s, like clearly kind of backlot set aesthetic. But like the songs are way better and it's way more like so much more creative. Oh, it's amazing. Uh, yeah. I'd say that's a masterpiece, that film. I, I agree. I love it. But yeah. this this movie kind of to me is a mashup of uh, Little Shop of Horrors and Phantom of the Paradise in a lot of ways. Like it, I, like it almost seems like a, a Venn diagram of some of the weaker aspects of, of both movies. Of both of them, it's weird actually. Cause I was doing a lot of kind of looking because when you know this is probably the first musical we're, we're covering, and it's probably going to be the only musical we cover. Frankly, um, I think musicals is a stretch. Yeah. I felt the same. Well, that's the thing. That's what I was going to say. I couldn't believe how much it wasn't a musical. There, there really is. It's a music video, and but I can't believe it's marketed as as a musical. It really, as you say, opens and closes with with the song. And both of them are awesome. It's 
Jim Steinman, who who is the songwriter for Meatloaf. He was a songwriter for like Bonnie Tyler. I mean, Tyler. you can tell that. Um, it makes perfect sense. And you can, you can yeah. hear it, innit? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And when it opened with that song, I was like, oh shit, is this like going to be like a Jim Steinman like, musical? That sounds awesome. I'd love to just have a musical full of those big operatic songs and big like rock heavy songs. And, and it just drops it it's almost it's like it doesn't care whatsoever about actually populating this as a musical never mind the fact that like she's pushed as like the musical lead of the film and i can't believe she's captured in the opening credits and then and then then she doesn't have much else to do she's stolen they don't even say she's kidnapped stolen, they keep yeah. saying she's stolen it's such a weird term like she's they have weird <laughs> use of language in this as well they have really specific ways of saying stuff that is trying to make it into like a weird kind of alt world i guess like and they do that over and over again. Yeah. But it's weird because, like, musicals in Hollywood have such a kind of odd tradition and odd kind of, like, um, kind of acceptance with them as well. And you have, like, you know, I don't want to go back too far. I can give a lot of too much context, maybe, <laughs> to this kind of stuff. But you have, like, the implosion of musicals in the 60s. And then during the 70s, so I, I go very quickly, but during the 70s, you start getting this rock influence into kind of musicals, especially in kind of like theatre. And you get stuff like coming through the kind of like Broadway and, and, and Broadway, these like rock influence stuff. And you've already talked about it, like um, uh, Little Shop of Horrors, Rocky Picture, Rocky Horror Picture Phantom Show, Jesus Christ Superstar, Grease, Phantom of the Paradise, all these stuff pushing through that are kind of trying to mix rock into it. And I think that's probably the kind of world this is coming out of in them looking at these slowly percolating kind of hits on like on the stage that are getting pushed through to kind of go to Hollywood as, and getting pushed through to make films out of. But um, I, that's what I guess that's what I was expecting. But I can't say that this was a musical. It was it was less a musical than Purple Rain. Mm-hmm. It wasn't even like Labyrinth. It definitely wasn't like. Even Moonwalker that came out in the 80s, these rock musicals. Xanadu came out a couple of years beforehand. Uh, another kind of rock musical you get. And the ones that I think these are probably most like is, is those weird, like, dirty dancing, footloose, flash dance, which aren't musicals, yeah. but they're just full of music. And they're kind of just, just like music videos that are kind of got populated on screen, really. Yeah, I completely agree with all that. I mean, I think I liked it more than you guys did. Like, it was a first time watch for me, but like, I agree. I expected there to be more music. And I did like the music that was there, but there is a weird, like, I really like the look of the movie and just like yeah. the cinematography. Like that opening shot is amazing, I think, where it's kind of like the neon lights reflected in the, the puddles and then it pans up. Like, I think the use of color is really nice in the film because you've kind of got like three distinctive looks for the three different areas. You've kind of got like, the battery area that's like all black and red. You've kind of got like the, 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 the happening tower, it's all bright colors. And then you've kind of got the muted tones of like the, day-to-day kind of stuff yeah very colorful i liked all the like costuming like uh, you know there, there's Even, weird um, stuff william defoe's uh, weird waders that he wears. <laughs> yeah uh i it's funny that we're talking about this now because this movie apparently just got added to netflix in the u.s and i've seen a couple articles mm. popping up here and there about it but one that just like popped up and i was like well i gotta read this it was about how streets of fire is like an influential cyberpunk movie which i hadn't i don't know that this would have occurred to me watching it but you know they compare like blade runner and like how you know there's a lot of scenes like in the rain in this movie you look at um amy madigan's 
hair is exactly like uh, Daryl Hannah's <laughs> hair in Blade Runner. There's like weird little connections, and um, and I guess you know there's just things that have had references to Streets of Fire later that you know like anime and stuff that clearly it did influence the genre in some weird way it's definitely in that neo-noir territory yeah but i was gonna say like is this movie post-apocalyptic because i always thought it was and you look at the poster that poster like that comic book looking poster it feels like a post-apocalyptic comic book action film doesn't it but it doesn't really yeah like it it feels a lot like escape from new york Mm. you know like i think michael paré feels like kind of like a snake plissken type guy well, like John but, Connor with, not John Connor, who Kyle Reese with his big trench coat when he's shooting up the battery with his shotgun on his motorbike. Kind of also reminded me of like uh, Planet Terror vibes, you know, Freddy uh, Rodriguez's character, which I guess is kind of inspired by like John Carpenter, right. you know, going back to what like Sean said. Yeah. But like, I, I, did I miss it? Like, did they say anything about like any sort of apocalypse or like what? Like, other than that little caption at the beginning. No, I think they pretty much just say it's in its own little magical... They this I watched the making of it's on the Blu-ray, and they just they, they keep saying the word magical as if, like, for some reason, it's just kind of its own, like, little pocket universe where this kind of, you know... Yeah, if you say magical enough on the special features, maybe someone will believe it. Like, yeah. It eventually <laughs> becomes true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, it probably... This film might have benefited just from that little kind of... Just a little bit pushing that a bit further, maybe. Like you said, like... I didn't understand the world building at all. I didn't understand, like, which cops were their friends, which cops weren't their friends, um, the different areas of town... There was a bit one where they're on the bus and they're trying to escape through different areas, um, and I thought they were fighting like every cop. Every cop was kind of after after them, and then they get back to their home base and they kind of go straight to the cops. So I couldn't understand like how this world was set up. Um, there was a bit like the kind of do the gangs control certain areas and then no go zones, and and you have to go into these like like you say, escape from New York, these lockdown areas that are full of these gangs, but they wasn't clear to me at all really about the kind of geography of this all or the kind of setup yeah i kind of like that there's you know like things aren't fully explained and it feels like there's like a world that you don't totally understand like sometimes that works and i like that in this and it kind of reminded me of like another movie that i think is kind of similar is um buckaroo bonsai you know like it's about a band it's kind of like just throws you into this world without really explaining to you very much uh and i don't know kind of I just think, has a similar attitude i think you go with buckaroo banzai a bit more though just because it's so out there and it's just so bonkers you're like okay i'm just in for the ride whereas i think you kind of with this one it's it's too grounded that you want a bit more explanation of what's going on whereas i think if it's just so crazy you just kind of go with it whereas i don't know yeah, I mean, I feel like my expectations were I kept waiting for something really crazy to happen and it, everything mm. kind of ended up feeling like this is just the real world, but a little more stylized. Um, but I did really like that hammer fight or <laughs> whatever it was. <laughs> like that fight. was pretty yeah. crazy. <laughs> so there are some moments and I liked Willem Dafoe. Like it's interesting when you like, uh, Liam, you're mentioning the uh, like, that there was a lot of 50s kind of nostalgia going on in the the 80s. And it's like, if you look back at like all the cast members 
the major cast members, they were all in a movie right before this that was like a 50s kind yeah. of inspired thing because like Michael Paré was in Eddie and the Cruisers. Yeah. Willem Dafoe was in The Loveless, which was that biker movie that I think Catherine Bigelow did. Catherine Bigelow, yeah. And He's basically the same character in that, really. It's yeah. Just, but heightened in this, yeah. Like, exactly the same hair and parting and biker gang kind of thing. And Diane Lane was in The Outsiders and Rumblefish. Rumblefish, She'd yeah. done loads, hadn't she? she? She was probably the most experienced one in the cast at that point. Like, you know, she, she'd worked with some of the best already at that point. I, I couldn't believe how young she was. She's eight, 18 in this, I think it was. Yeah. Because I was like thinking, ah, Diane Lane's looking pretty good in this film. And then I looked at how old she was and it said she's 57. I was thinking, hang on a minute. So I mean, she was like 17 when she made this film. I was like, oh. Apparently, though, the yeah. reason why it, they shot it in the day and they had like a big tarp that they put over the whole of the um, back lot and it... Uh, to make like night and that was because of child safety laws because a lot of the cast were quite young in the film apparently that was like one of the influences as well was like teen movies like um what some of those early ones like um rumblefish and the outsiders and i think those are like big big like uh inspiration on this film as well because like no one's below like 25 in the cast apart from like the police officers like you know i mean it's kind of got that kind of like teacher student kind of thing where the only adults are the authority figures yeah they yeah, were the year sure. before both yeah. of those movies that i think they do fit in yeah in that, with that idea. yeah because this was basically just a passion project from walter hill who had had just had a huge hit with 48 hours and this is the exact same team i came to do it it's the same same producer joe silver it's the same writer michael goss who just come up to do to make this film and he quite explicitly says that he was just trying to make like to make as much money as possible basically um but he's he has some weird quotes that i think really speak to what he was looking at as this film because he he says that this was a project he wanted to do when he was a teenager and i think when you sit when you think about the, the way this film's then presented with that it's it is heightened in that kind of that teenagery kind of young adult way it is really loud it's really big it's really just aggressive like i couldn't believe how people interact in this it, it was it started really getting to me it started really kind of pissing me off how much like rick morales and him and everyone just spoke to each other continuously rick morales is so abrasive in it he's just everything he's just he's just annoyed with everything and it's and did <laughs> yeah. you not think that it's so weird that, um michael parr had more sexual chemistry with the character that played his sister than he did with the uh, diane lane's character or is uh, that just um, me? Hmm. Maybe just yeah. me then. <laughs> <laughs> it's just you. <laughs> I, I I mean the sister character wasn't in it that much, but um, hmm. yeah, I mean yeah, it's it's kind of weird. Like the um, just the uh, like some some of the editing and stuff in the movie, like the the intro had like these weird like. Oh, cut to black kind of. and then freeze flames and then those weird like painted kind of... I did want to ask Frank about what he thought of the uh, opening credits because it takes about nine minutes for them to like to come back again. Yeah, I mean, I I know what Sean's saying, like like the editing and some of the like not quite comic book wipes, but kind of yeah, like yeah. that. Uh, I, like the op- I like the opening credits. Uh, again, like you said, the first 10, 15 minutes are my favorite, like, it's almost a five out of five at that point and then <laughs> it's not um but yeah no i like it is a little off-putting at times the editing but overall it just 
it's like purple rain it's when it's doing that editing stuff it feels like a music video and that's when i like the movie the most when it feels like a good a really good music video agree yeah it just feels like if you're gonna commit to that like maybe do it more like it it just comes out of nowhere sometimes like the opening it, it makes sense it's an opening credit sequence so that's cool yeah. but then there's a few moments later where it comes back and it just seems strange but i mean do you reckon like this film may have influenced like edgar wright on like uh, uh scott pilgrim and like maybe baby driver a bit as well i was definitely thinking scott pilgrim not in terms of the scott aesthetics pilgrim. but kind of like just the presentation i guess like in terms of the the, the music aspects and stuff there's yeah, one part I, where the score has it been used in something else? There, the Ling Ray Rumble is in the score. I don't know if that's what you're thinking. Yeah, what's what else is that in? Uh, is it in Desperado? Maybe? Or yeah, I couldn't, maybe even I did, Pulp Fiction. I'm not sure. Yeah, I, th- or I thought maybe from Dust uh, Till Dawn. Probably. Maybe. Yeah. Okay. It's, but that, yeah, that is a in, thing, right? Like that. Yeah, when it came up at first, I was like, "Is this a like?" a rip off of it but then i think it was the actual song so yeah it was a little strange no, I can't uh, find anyway it. sorry I, sean i interrupted you sorry <laughs> it was he was he was asking about uh, edgar wright oh the scott pilgrim thing yeah that that thought occurred to me and i actually looked up to see if edgar wright had ever said anything specifically mentioning streets of fire like he's definitely said he's a fan of it i don't know that he's come out and said it was a specific influence on scott pilgrim it kind of makes sense i think yeah looks like it's been used in uh top gear not that i watch it but it's a big (laughs) uk show uh the warriors deleted opening scene pulp fiction okay uh pulp fiction independence day spongebob squarepants versus the big one Uh, (laughs) road racers so a different uh that's another Rodriguez, isn't it? Rodriguez, yeah, yeah but yeah. I feel yeah. like it's been... There's another version I'm missing. Anyway, sorry. That's all right. It's weird. That, those like comic book edits you're talking about when it kind of slashes between scenes and stuff like that, that's exactly what he did to the director's cut of Warriors as well that everyone hated. Yeah, that's right. It came out a couple of years yeah. ago. It is it's, bad uh, in the Warriors. Re- <laughs> like <this>. It is. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> So it's definitely a thing that he's kind of into. He's obsessed with kind of sticking into the films. So, yeah, I was watching the uh, making of and Walter Hill was talking about the editing the intro about the black frames and stuff and talking about how, you know, it was an odd choice and stuff. But apparently they were just kind of coming up with stuff on the fly, just kind of there was no thought put into it, really. They were just seeing what worked. And um, I mean, do you guys have any like history with Walter Hill? Like, is there any of the films of his that you kind of? I don't. No. Yeah, I mean, I've seen obviously like The Warriors, 48 Hours, we just talked about on our Eddie Murphy premium a, a while back. Um, I feel like there's some essential Walter Hill movies that I haven't seen yet. Like I've never seen Southern Comfort. Um, mm. There's probably a few others in there. Like I, I think I'm a fan of his, but I, I, I don't know that I've seen enough to fully say that. But I, I think, you know, generally he's kind of like a, western sort of tough guy kind of director right i mean this is pretty much a western isn't it like you know they always say there's only like two stories there's like the liliad and there's the odyssey and like this is like the liliad isn't it's just like the searchers they're you know they're looking for uh john wayne's niece yeah exactly i did kind of think they were going for kind of a bit of a john wayne oh definitely um kind of aloof 
but uh, but charismatic kind of thing mm-hmm. um which not that's when i was like i don't totally think this is working for me because uh, i wasn't totally bought in by michael Parry's performance i agree this thing a bit kind of captivating and weird about it but i've had a hard time really just getting into like it. apparently they wanted tom cruise and daryl hannah for the parts and then they even approached paul mccartney what film that would be i don't know but <laughs> <laughs> what for the main role paul yeah McCartney? yeah i guess be. another thing we haven't mentioned is uh famous producer jimmy Iveen was like a big music producer on it. Oh, and yeah, like Stevie yeah. Nicks wrote one of the songs and uh, he was like a, I, I don't know how big of a musical voice or guide on the movie, but he yeah. got his own credit in the opening credits. Yeah. I don't, I also don't think we've mentioned Bill Paxton is in it. Oh God. Yeah. Kind of like, like him in the movie. Don't you th- he's very wide in this film. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I definitely, I think it took Bill Paxton a little while in his career to kind of get to a certain level. Because, you know, in Aliens, he's like up there and, you know, all of his early... I've actually just purchased a uh, an early film of his actually brain dead. I think he's in this one, yeah. Oh, no, it's Bill Pullman. Ignore me. Such <laughs> oh, that's embarrassing. <laughs> no, that's going to get edited out. <laughs> Easy mistake to make. Easy mistake. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, the only other thing I really was thinking about with this movie, like you guys kind of mentioned at the beginning, just that the plot, like it's it's a very simple plot, but like what is the movie about really? You know what I mean? Like the idea that he comes and he has to save this ex-girlfriend, but he's only doing it for the money. (laughs) Yeah. And she gets pissed about that, but then in the end, he turns down the money. It's well, that's I was like, Spaceball stole <laughs> the <laughs> one million space bucks thing. <laughs> <laughs> He's basically Lone Star. Yeah, so I mean, I guess it's like about honor a little bit or something, but or, yeah. or respect in some way. But I'm with you, Sean. I don't think it's about much. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's about Cody. What's his name again? Cody Hall, is it? I keep want to say Agent Cody Johnson or everything. Isn't it Tom? Isn't it Tom, Tom Cody? Tom Cody. Tom Cody. I think it's a, <laughs> it's like it's about Tom Cody being really cool and everyone wants to be Tom Cody and will keep making films about Tom Cody. I feel like that was the kind of main thing they were thinking about. He will be the, the new action star and everyone will want to have like Tom Cody figures and things. Um, yeah, it's about maybe. being cool. I think that's a pretty <laughs> it's good about being cool. <laughs> for trying to be cool. <laughs> It's like a kid's idea of cool people. It's what it feels like to me. Like, and, and the way they kind of all snap at each other and very aloof and, and get quite angry constantly. I felt like that was that kind of, that's at that level, really, of how these people interact. And I'm not going to lie. I don't mind that it's not about anything. It's I don't fine. mind when movies <laughs> yeah. are just like, you know, just trying to be fun and this one just isn't that successful. I just wanted more music. That's really yeah, that's what I wanted. wanted. Music out of it, I think. I agree. So you know, this was meant to be planned as a trilogy. So there was like three films. Oh, was it? But um, hmm. obviously, I'm you know, watching the the link you just sent. yeah. So basically, Michael Parr in two thousand eight did a his own like spiritual sequel. So if you check this trailer out, and oh, I'm checking it out. <laughs> it looks pretty oh, rough. Dear. It's called Road to Hell. 
and uh, the same actress who plays his sisters in it as well, and they're the same character names. But the film, it's like a green screen film, so they're obviously trying to go for that Sin City look. But yeah, it's but, like <laughs> the most. Wow. Are you watching this? This is like oh, it's directed by Albert Pyun. Oh, that guy is the best. Is he this is like this is like Decker, Tim Heidecker. Have <laughs> 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 so, you ever seen it? Is it like that mm. Easy Rider sequel that came out a couple of years ago? The Ride Back, is that what it's called? When they did a prequel to really? it? Really? It was just self-produced. It looks exactly like that. <laughs> There's always those weird things in Hollywood where a producer's got rights to a certain aspect of like a, a film or a franchise. It's like the zombie flesh eaters. Like the, there's all those weird spin-offs of those and stuff like that. Hmm. But yeah, that, that, yeah. that film looks terrible. Yeah, bizarre. So the, like so, this movie actually got made then. Yeah, it came out like, like what thing? thirteen years ago. Yeah. Hmm. Wow. Oh, wow. Did not know that. No, that's bizarre. And Sean's got his finger on the pulse when it comes to pop culture. This. <laughs> well, God, I would know. I would know. <laughs> it's not on the kind of what was this? What was this site with the film on it? Monkey Inc. Or Monkey something. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I don't have too much else to say about the movie. I guess you guys did mention the uh, the parallels of like the, uh, the the main character abusing their girlfriend in in both this and and Purple Rain. I was gonna say I don't even understand why he punched her out in Streets of Fire. Just to prove he's a tough like, guy, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> just so she wouldn't come with yeah, him. Like- I don't. I don't know, it just seemed a very odd choice to me. Like and the fact that she was alright with him afterwards, like yeah. at least have a bit of spunk, like a little bit of I don't know. Yeah, I mean I it makes sense in Purple Rain, like that's kinda of what the movie's about. Yeah. Like the passing down of Yeah, it's like father you know, the father these, and the son, yeah, kind of mirroring each yeah, other. Yeah, but in in this movie it was just a weird moment. Yeah. I mean, what did you think of Amy Madigan in the film? She looked to me. I she looked her. like an orphan from Oliver or something. Just that. yeah. I mean, I she's kind of tied up in film junk history too. Is she? <laughs> yeah, like Jay used to always like talk about Amy Madigan, and I mean, I love Field of Dreams. So I, I don't know. I liked her in it. I thought she was pretty good. I really liked her in it. I like Amy Madigan like this. Like, me too. I, mean, I like her. I like her in Field of Dreams and Uncle Buck. I don't like. I think yeah. that's what I know her from, and I've always liked her in those films. But um. I thought I really liked her in this. Um, I thought she was one of the more interesting characters. It was, um, and she was kind of fun. I liked how kind of tough she was, to be honest. Because it, it was written to be like an Hispanic male, wasn't it? And then she, apparently she right. read the script and was like, no, I want to play that part. And he was like, I don't think they even changed any dialogue. Ah, well, there was a bit when Rick Morales keeps going on about, he keeps repeating, like, we're not taking the skirt with us. Like, let's <laughs> leave the skirt and keeps don't leave and keeps repeating that kind of same thing over and over again. When, when they're trying to build the team to go save her. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, you've also got Ed Begley Jr. playing like a pretty insignificant little cameo where he spouts some exposition that we already know from um, Rick Moranis' character anyway. And I'll tell you who's an odd inclusion was the girl who I think voices... She sounds like one of the Rugrats voices and she kind of like joins in with the crew. Oh, it's Dottie from Huey's Big Adventure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, sorry, Frank. Sorry, that's okay. <laughs> um, 
I kind of forgot too. But like a certain point in the film, like Michael Parr just turns to her and goes, what are you still doing here? And I think the audience is, is thinking, yeah, what, what are you doing here? Well, like- she joins <laughs> them and then they end up on the bus and like, yeah, I don't even remember seeing her. And then she's, yeah, it's like, it's, it's really sloppy how she's included. Yeah. It's, yeah. Weird. Not well done. I forgot about the bus actually, because like I was really happy when it was a Sorrels was it came into it. That was a bit. That was a moment when it actually picked me up. I was really struggling with it, and then the Sorrels were in it, and I had to kind of like them. They got that kind of Jersey Boys vibe yeah, yeah, yeah. to them, and when they were just on the bus singing and they were kind of giving giving some kind of music to it, I was I was kind of into it at that point. I was like, oh, I like these guys. They're the kind of the friendliest people they've met. They should keep this in more. And I guess then they, you know, you mentioned it earlier. The the biggest song from this film. They kind of perform it on stage right at the end of this, but um, yeah, I quite like them. Yeah, I agree with uh, basically Liam's sentiment overall. Like, the, there's just not enough music. It, it's the music's the best part of the movie, and it's only at the beginning and the end. You've got the band that's in the battery area, like the kind of like that kind of rockabilly kind of doo-woppy kind of band, and it's also a scene where a woman is doing a striptease to the same song, and it just doesn't work. Yeah, I mean, I I don't like the music in the middle. I like the kind of eighties. Yeah, hundred percent. That kind of like new wavy kind of synth poppy. I'm guessing of. that's like, was it Ry Cooter? Is that the? Yeah, Ry Cooter's Ry Cooter's like the kind of composer on the film, wasn't he? Ry Cooter's like a yeah. He did a bunch of the music. I'm assuming he's responsible for most for most of the stuff in the middle, basically. Yeah, I guess. But so. I don't know. Well, I think genuinely. I think Bruce Springsteen's "Streets of Fire" was meant to be like the big track at the end, but when he found out that the song wasn't was going to be re-recorded, he was like, "Nope, you're not having it." So, but they obviously just kept the name still. <laughs> so, hmm. 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 it's weird. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, weird, yeah. It's the blasters of the band in the battery area during like the whole striptease biker gang kind of. I don't scene. even remember them. How to say? I do not remember them. Me neither. <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I, I think I've, I'm out of stuff to say about Streets of Fire. <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty nothing film, really, isn't it? It's, it doesn't really amount to a great deal, unfortunately. I, like, I had real high hopes with this film. Like, the po- like I said, the poster looked amazing. I love the look of it. Like, I love films that are just drenched in rain, like films like Seven and stuff like that. Like, even like films like Seven have like that other slightly otherworldly feel. Like, it's kind of like in its own little universe, and like. I, mm-hmm. I was hoping this would kind of, you know, obviously this does have that, but it just, I don't know, it didn't go anywhere. I mean, I like Willem Dafoe in it. I mean, I don't know if we talked about him as much, but um, William Dafoe's yeah, always William been. Dafoe's always fun. He's always off the rails and he's doing all that here. Like, he's giving everything. He is good. Like, like why do you think he wanted to kidnap her? Like, what was his goal? Because he's like, I'm just, I just want to kiss you for a couple of days and then I'll give you back. Like, I don't understand what. I kind of thought yeah. he was kind of yeah. going to make her perform in his clubs or something. I guess I thought it was going to be like a, a film about like there's all these little areas that all have their own bands and they kind of fight over being bands or something. That's what I kind of see. That would be interesting, but you know it doesn't. But it's no, like it's like they wrote the script, but didn't they didn't think about the world building at all? It's just kind of it's just all arbitrary and just I don't know. Yeah, I don't understand the plot at all. No. It's- Really, it's like, for like the very core elements. Like I like the whole intro sequence when they're having the fight outside of the uh, the music venue and like everyone's getting thrown through windows and all that kind of stuff. 
Um, and I guess I, I like the bit where he's rescuing Ellen from the biker gang in the battery, and he's like smacking those like metal pipes that are like filled with some sort of oil and stuff comes out of. I mean, I'm not exactly too sure what they're supposed to be, but then he's like blowing them up. And I think in this scene, Michael Parr was like quite concerned that he was going to get like damaged or hurt by all the explosives and stuff like that. And uh, the only direction that Walter Hill said to him was, don't get hurt while standing behind a bunch of plexiglass. <laughs> I think I remember. <laughs> completely <laughs> out of my head, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I still liked it a fair bit. I just, you know, I, I, even though it is a simple plot, like, I don't think it's a bad plot. Well, there's nothing it's, against simple plots. I just think, you know, there's not much to the characters either. They're not given a great deal to do, are they? They're kind of very kind of one note. I guess. I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I guess that's fair. Like, I think it's interesting just because it's such a, like, an int- it's an interesting cast of people. Definitely. Like, seeing all these people together in a film where they're all pretty young, like, that, to me, was kind of made it. So, but, yeah, the visuals I really liked as well. And the music, when it's there, is great. So, yeah. yeah. I agree. Especially the beginning of it, end of it, brilliant. And then... I just wished uh, it needed more from, like, I thought Diane Lane looked amazing in this film and I wanted more from her. I didn't, and I just, I was just so, I got so angry at the end of the film when Rick Morales and, um, and Michael Paré are arguing about which ones are going to have her, like, just complete. And she had no agency anyway during most of the film. And then, like, at the end, they were just deciding who was going, she was going to go with. I was just so angry at the film. <laughs> I couldn't work out if Rick Moranis was like suggesting some sort of cuckold arrangement or something <laughs> like it was. Just... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, it's like you know, you can have her for a certain amount of time, and then I don't know. Uh, that, I mean, that all came across more kind of harmless to me. Like it was more like a conversation of like who who is she better suited for, mm. you know, in the long run. And well, it was more about like her career, right? Like I think yeah. he talks about like he she was his second love next to the music and stuff like right, that. Okay, like, yeah, I, I think that. the, the film fair. is clearly saying based on her star power, like she's better than all of them. And it's like, everyone's trying to, maybe that's what the Willem Dafoe thing is about is like, she is this like electric talent yeah. and everyone is trying to kind of take her for their own because they can't do it themselves and they get become, you know, resentful or bitter when, she picks someone else or something else. And maybe it's, I'm assuming a bit by design that she is more in the background and it's about other people, uh, you know, arguing and fighting for her attention because she's clearly the, the most, in, well, not in, like the most uh, talented and like maybe too big for the town she's in type of thing. Yeah. I think you cracked it. I mean, for me, <laughs> you cracked it. Like, I, do you think do you think it would have helped if it was a bit more violent or a bit more extreme as well? Like it, yeah, it's PG. Yeah, I was kind of surprised. Very tame. Like I, I know I wouldn't classify it as post-apocalyptic, but I understand it looks a lot like a post-apocalyptic movie and the poster as well. But yeah, I was I was expecting it to be R-rated and like ultra-violent, and then I'm like, oh, and that's why in my head it was that, and the, I'm like, oh, this is a musical, and then it's going to get really dark and. I'm going to love this. And then none of that happens. Like, I think uh, William Defoe was supposed to die and Rick Moranis were, was as well. Because Rick Moranis has that turn at the end. 
where they have that fight at the end and uh, Rick Moranis kind of like tries to stand up like he tries to grow a pair at the end but uh, felt a bit un- unearned I think but it was quite weird I was expecting a big upright, like all and out gang war at the end and it did just finish with like uh, a thing I've never seen before the pickaxe fight or the sledgehammer <laughs> fight wherever it was which I just thought was quite amazing and then it just kind of finished and um, like I think it, was, it ends up with a punch out don't they just between the two of them which I quite liked. It was quite rawish and quite like violent, but it's just not, as you say, not violent enough. It needed more oomph to it. It needed not to be PG, definitely. I mean, it just feels like there's no consequences for anyone's actions, really. But um, yeah, yeah, I think that's about it from me. Yeah. Uh, what do you guys? What would you guys rate it out of five? Uh, I'm. Kinda, I think I'm sitting at like a four here, guys. Wow. Yeah, I'm. I'm a three and a half. I mean, I'd probably give it a three, three and a half out of five, but I could see this growing on me over time. Like, it could become a bit of a guilty pleasure. I know it sounded like I was being a bit harsh on it, but, you know, the soundtrack is fantastic. I've been listening to it all week. That opening song is such a banger. Um, You know, you guys were talking about it being a bit like a music video. You know, that's what I do for a living. I make music videos. Um, I've made feature films about bands i've done a documentary about a band i've been in bands so it's all things that definitely in my wheelhouse and in my interests um you know sean's speaking about his influences earlier you know uh you know manga you know all the kind of the neo-noir films you know that kind of came in its wake um you know apparently also it was massive in japan and influence games like Streets of Rage and Double Dragon and stuff like that. So that's going to have some merit to it. Liam, what do you think? Um, probably, I'm sitting around a three, probably two and a half. I think I liked it the least. Yeah. <laughs> like, I feel bad just coming on and saying I don't like something, though. But um, oh, That's but all right. You, you don't have to like everything that we talk about, you know. That's... No. It's all about just getting it off that list, exactly. that list of shame, yeah. right? List of shame, yeah. Totally. <laughs> So, um, what are we talking about next week then, Liam? Oh, okay. Um, God knows. Oh, yeah, okay. Next week we're actually doing something completely, completely different to this. We're going and we're doing um, Agnes Varda's Vagabond from uh, 1985, which I'm quite looking forward to. Yeah, definitely. Me too. Um, I'd just love to thank, you know, both you, Sean, and Frank for joining us today. It's been absolute treat for me you know like i said i've been listening to film junk for you know well over a decade now and um yeah it's an absolute honor and you are welcome back anytime you want is there anything you'd like to promote or plug while you're here i mean you know i mean filmjunk.com check it out if you haven't uh listened to the show it's fun but uh happy to be here it was a lot of fun and uh forced me to watch a couple movies that i hadn't seen so. i was wanting to watch both of these too so yeah thanks thanks for uh, having me yeah. our pleasure and also don't forget to drop some tear as well on their patreon as well <laughs> it's well Absolutely. worth it definitely worth it yeah it's great podcast and thank you guys again and yeah as you say getting getting out getting those films off the list that we've just been hanging around forever it always feels quite good totally all right well uh anyway thanks for listening and please don't forget to rate review and subscribe and uh you can reach out to us on Twitter. We are at Adjust Your Track. That's with a YR, not a your. And yeah, don't forget, if the pitch is bad, always adjust your tracking.
Is this a new know, thing? Like, Embedded ads in Letterboxd? Is, when did this start happening? When did that start happening? I mean, aren't you a patron? Oh, maybe I was. That it just expired, I think, today. Maybe that's why. Maybe. Yeah, probably. Oh, okay. Ugh. I'm not a patron. I'm pro, You're which pro. I think What's is the, the cheaper Patreon. I can't remember. There's certain about analytics and stuff, isn't there? Yeah, okay, I really should cool. throw them a bone, but I uh, just can't bring myself to do it. I don't know. <laughs> it's the stats. I can't miss it. I need to know, like, you know, how many, what's the my biggest watch director and stuff like that. I'm obsessed with that. <laughs> yeah. Get into the weeds with everything like that. They should do achievements with it. I mean, that, that'd be quite cool. I don't, know how that, that. I don't need that. My, like, <laughs> I mean, I love the idea, but it would just be... <laughs> Could be disastrous. <laughs> Need more gamification. I wouldn't do enough of that anyway. 